0: Hey, it's Jason Cunningham, and welcome back to Save My Business, the podcast dedicated to helping small and medium-sized business owners navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. And today's guest is one of my favourites, none other than the CEO of the Essendon Footy Club, the Mighty Bombers, Xavier Campbell. G'day, Zave. How are you, pal? I'm good, Jason. Welcome to Save My Business, pal. Thanks for joining us. Now I know a lot of people are thinking, why the hell have I got the CEO of the Essendon Footy Club on a podcast called Save My Business? for mine, oh, obviously, A, I'm a mad bomber, as you know. Uh, but secondly, I think there's so much that local or small to medium sized business owners can glean from elite sporting clubs. And I want to start with you and your journey, if that's okay. And let's hope that I don't cross the boundary. But, mate, you're a South Australian boy. Is that right? No. No. Well, <laughs> Fuck that, up. Hey. <laughs> Didn't you play footy at Sturt? Yeah. I told you I don't do any research. <laughs> Uh, didn't you play footy at Sturt? I did, but okay. I was from
1: Echuca. But I spent time in South Australia playing, playing footy in university over there.
0: Yeah, okay. And you won a premiership in the sample, is that right?
1: Yeah, long, long time ago now, 2002, Yeah. Sturt, near SANFL. And what brought
0: you back to <clears throat> Melbourne?
1: Well, uh, I went and travelled overseas first. I mm-hmm. spent time in Los Angeles and London. Yep. And uh, I'd finished an economics degree and I probably had no intention to want to work in that field, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, the business of sport. I was passionate about that, I was really interested by that, and you know, to come back and work in the you know, sporting capital world is Melbourne, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And um, yeah, when I came back in 2004 or 5, whatever it was, um, I sort of pound the pavement to try and find an opportunity in sport, it took me a long time, mm-hmm. and I ended up um, finding a job with Octagon, a big global sports marketing company, and that's sort of started my journey many years ago.
0: And how did you find yourself at the Bombers?
1: Well, during that period, I'd actually met uh, Travis Auld, who at the time, you would know Travis, yeah. uh, who's now... Um, Gold at, Coast? Yeah, he was Gold Coast, now at the AFL, yeah, obviously very right. senior at the AFL, really, mm. really talented guy. Uh, met him just through trying to find a role. They didn't have one at the time. Ended up getting a job with Octagon, worked with, a, with another company and then ended up at the Bombers in uh, 2009. So I've been there uh, 11 years now,
0: CEO for seven years. Tell me, Zave, there's no doubt and starting the obvious, uh, you've had a challenging tenure, mm. uh, not necessarily of your doing, but walking into being a CEO when, uh, mate, the football world had been belted. How, how did you deal with that? Mm. Well, I sort
1: of, uh, when I got asked to sort of become the key executive of the business, mm. and, and it wasn't necessarily CEO straight away, it was mm. CEO, acting CEO. Mm. Uh, it was the end of 2013, mm-hmm. and uh, I was 33, I think, at the time, about to turn yeah, 34. Yeah. So I was pretty young, but we were in the, you know, clearly in what you're referring to as the, the supplements issue. We yeah. were right there. You know, we, we were what nine months into that, yeah. with enormous uncertainty still surrounding the club. You know, we had a coach that had been suspended. We've been we had the ongoing ASADA investigation, no real clarity around timelines, all those sorts of things. So it was sort of it was. I guess it was daunting, but it was also when you sort of had the time to sit back and look at the opportunity as a whole. Um, and when you know, I've been less than supportive my entire life, so I was very passionate about oh. the brand and the club and the history. Um, it was too good opportunity to refuse. Yeah. And um, yeah, it has been, I mean, that, was, that probably occupied the first three or four years of, of my tenure as CEO. And the last year has been COVID, which has been intense for its own reasons. And I did a, an MBA in the middle two years as well at a business school overseas. So that was, I probably haven't had a, a normal year. I'd yeah. love to hope that 2021 does deliver some normality, but that's in part the sort of the challenge of working in AFL, it's a unique dynamic landscape and there's always something there. And you know, every club has its own challenges and nuances that they're dealing with at any point in time
0: anyway. Can I ask you, Zave, the experience that you went through during the Supplement Saga, I feel that that might've put you in good stead to deal with the challenges that existed during lockdown and COVID. I mean, something outside your control. You didn't know when there was going to be an end date. Yeah. It seemed to go on forever. And you were just thrown into it. Is, is, are the circumstances relatively similar?
1: Yeah, there are par- uh, clearly parallels. Yeah. You know, it's a really—it's a good observation. And it sort of, in some respects, um, it's been harder, in some respects, it's been easier to navigate through. Mm. Um, you know, we talk about isolation, isolation was the supplements issue, because yeah. we, were, we were isolated, we are the only club that was going through it. Um, clearly, the passage of time probably meant that the competition was getting frustrated with Essendon because mm. it was taking so long. But as you said, a lot of it was out of our control mm. and, we, and we really were fighting hard for the players to have a fair mm. hearing is probably ultimately what we, what we were trying to do. And then this time around, COVID is very different because we were all in the same position and it yeah. wasn't just you know the AFL or sports and entertainment industry. It sort of it was across every single industry was affected mm. in one way, shape or form. So you know the ability about to pick up the phone, talk to other CEOs about the the challenges of the broader business. Not so much, and, and even the sports, so the performance side, the football side was was a very different proposition than, than going through the first unique challenge, which was the Asada issue.
0: And you're right. We we were very isolated as a club. And mm. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on that and not much more time at all, actually. But I was working at SEN at the time and, you know, even the media were against us and everyone was against us. One question that I've been dying to ask is, Abe, mm. uh, and I have this conversation with many business owners and I have this conversation with the many voices that are going on in my head, <laughs> is one, one of the biggest ja- uh, inherent dangers that exists for us as business owners or people that are professionals is that we, we often link our identity to our job mm. or to our role. And I think there's some inherent dangers in that. Now in your position, one would argue that that's amplified um, because uh, the thing about, and I'm speaking from the outside looking in, but the thing about uh, running a, a powerful uh, footy club is you've got so many stakeholders. Mm. You've got the players, you've got their families, you've got the members, you've got the supporters, you've got the AFL, you've got the media, you've got the, um, the broadcasters, there's so many <laughs> stakeholders. How do you go from Xavier Campbell, CEO uh, Essendon Footy Club, bleeds red and black, to being Xavier the dad, mm. Xavier the husband, and Xavier the mate? How do you yeah. do that?
1: Well, I think to, to your initial point though, that the identity piece is very real, not, not just you know, for CEOs. It's very much for the players. Think about the players. Yeah. You know, they very much their entire, you know, right throughout their high school. Clearly, their their last three or four years of high school, they're probably earmarked to be. Potential AFL mm. draftees, they be, they very much become Jason the footballer. Mm-hmm. That's his talent. Mm. The conversation is very much always about that. They then play their career. Um, you'd love to think they're doing stuff outside of football mm. to build capability in other industries and areas and knowledge, so mm. that they you know at a very minimum they can leave football knowing the path they want to take. Yeah. But you know they are very much first and foremost the footballer, mm. and trying to shift that identity is is tough. Mm. And um, you know some people I think have done it really well Joe Watson, you know job was an incredibly well-known footballer, yeah but there's a hell of a lot more to job Watson than the footballer. and he probably really had a, made a concerted effort to, to build that during mm. his playing days, mm. and that's probably helped him transition as well as anyone. Mm. Um, you know for me, I think you've, you, you always you know you're probably the same. it's sort of when you're working in a role in an industry that's all encompassing yeah and sport is afl certainly is in the context of you can be in it at any hour of the day you can be in the industry mm. so you can either be doing your work in the office talking about it with a stakeholder at home reading it online or whatever like mm. you can always be reading something new about it and learning more about yeah. it and sometimes that can be unhealthy mm. unhealthy in the sense of you start to overthink things probably mm. and unhealthy because you you know you don't Great step change in life to check back into your family and things like that. And yeah. I, you know, at different points I've really struggled with that, particularly early on. Yeah, um, I could imagine. Yeah, and we, you know, we I took over as, as CEO on the first the of January 20. Or was, I was CEO, acting CEO, the first of January 2014. We had our son, our first child, three days before, four days before that. Oh my
0: god! So that was, uh,
1: you know, that was that was very, very difficult to yeah. to learn to be a father, yeah. to be a good support for your wife who's going through a really mm. challenging,
0: you know, mm. first child. Yeah, it's bloody hard. Mm. We forget about the second and third, but that first one (laughs) (laughs) exactly. I've got this rule that all my mates I know their firstborn's name. The second and third, I wouldn't even have a clue. But anyway, I hope my secondborn son's not listening to this. Hey, Zay, you know you've been very fortunate, and uh, and uh, you've had some amazing mentors Mm. throughout your career. And one would argue that you've been more fortunate than most to tap into some amazing people. And and I know that you know Paul Little uh, played a big role. in in your development, and I don't know Paul, but I've mm-hmm. been to his airport. I mean, the bloke's mm-hmm. got his own airport, which I think is outstanding. <laughs> I, I bumped into, um, I was sitting next to Murray Rance on, right. a, on a flight back from Bris Vegas, and uh, we got talking, and um, you know, we spoke about footy and all that sort of stuff, and he's an SEN listener, and next minute I you know he took me to the airport, and I, I got to see a different world. And tell me what it's like to have the ability to tap into somebody like that as a titan of industry, mm who's obviously a very passionate supporter, who's given a lot to the club, a lot more than anyone would actually ever know, and nor will he ever declare what he's done. But what's it like to have somebody like that? You know, as a young, during your formative years as a COO, going to CEO, what's that yeah. like to have a, a billionaire um, to look up to?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it was Paul has been an excellent support and mentor mm. in my career, as you, as you rightly say. You know, he's, just, he's a person, though, as well. Yeah. You know, so he's got... Um, He's got areas that he's got real expertise at and he's got areas that he'll lean on new for. But um, I think you're very fortunate in this industry, unlike so many other industries where you you can almost open, if someone supports your club, you can almost open any door and, and meet with that person. It's, it's a very unique aspect yeah. of AFL and that's across every single club yeah. because people have this emotional, passionate connection to their football club. That's what
0: Ox, Ox, David Swartz would say to me and I've known Oxford about 15 or 16 years now. And, one of the things that he got told early doors, I think Gary Lyon was the one mm. that said it to him, is make sure you get around to know your supporter, yeah. and know your supporter base, because they're the ones that are gonna open the doors for you. And Dave, one would argue, sure he had a little bit of an issue on the punt, but he's, mm. he's not a gambler anymore. And in actual fact, he's the ambassador for responsible gaming for the ALH group. But he's made a really successful transition mm. out of footy. And he puts that down to not getting too ahead of yourself and understanding that it's the supporter base and the membership base, that keeps Mm. the club alive. Mm. So one of the things that I find uh, really intriguing about the AFL and sporting clubs, for most sporting clubs, is they are really strong at not listening to outside noise. Despite the fact that you could be on the front or the back page of the paper Mm. or you could be on Footy Classified or whatever, they really are crystal clear on closing ranks and developing a game plan. And when I talk to business owners, I talk the importance of having a game plan and the things that I, when I look at an elite sporting club and let's take footy and let's take the bombers, what I can see from an outsider looking in, although I'm a coterie member and I'm passionate about the club, but what I can see is that the club gets together both off field and on field and they develop a plan and they spend a whole heap of time fine tuning said plan and let's start with the game plan and Mm. and the game plan might say okay we finished 12th and next year we think it's conceivable that we can push between six and nine Mm. and so our plan is to this we're going to recruit this type of player and this is the game plan we're going to play yeah and for a significant period of time everybody learns said game plan and everybody knows their role in said plan yeah the next thing is that in this industry there's consistent feedback and in actual fact, the player demands feedback. Mm. How do I get better? How do I get stronger? How do I hold my position? What do I need to do to improve? And at every point in time, during training, during what we eat, and during game day, we've been fed feedback. Yep. Conversely, in business, often business owners don't have a plan. Mm. If they do, it's five years old. And if they develop a plan, they don't talk to anybody.
1: Mm.
0: And I, I just find that... When I look at it in an elite sporting club, there's so much to learn. Can you share some of your insights? I know you've done an NBA and you've worked in other industries. Yeah. Can you share some of your insights about the development of the plan and the buying of the plan by the stakeholders, the players and the playing group within the club?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, every year you want to win the premiership. Yeah. Yeah, That's the ultimate goal. And, and more than ever in the history of the game, like you've, we've seen some teams win the premiership from positions, you yeah, when Richmond won in 2017, they yeah. had come from a position well down the ladder. The Bulldogs. Uh, the Bulldogs did it the year before, yeah. 2016. And and you sort of, not so much, I mean this last year was was just because of the nature of the way the competition was structured, probably supported the, the more established mature teams with yeah. established game plans. Yeah. But, things can happen, like it's actually, it's a very even playing field in sport, but you do have to be realistic about where you sit. And it starts with your list, you know, things like that, you know. And your list strategy is, is critical. That's not the only factor that's gonna drive your performance you can't rely on that because clearly your coaching, your development, you know, your recruiting, all of that ties in and you have to be um very honest with yourselves about that. But it's 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 very easy to get caught up in the emotion. Mm. You know, it's very easy to get caught up in a bad loss. Yeah. It's very easy to get caught up in a great win.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and you need to be able to step back. You know, I, I know for me, like I, having discussions with the football guys, I normally wait to sort of 36 hours after a game because I know it'll be a really constructive discussion then. Because mm. I know I won't be either here or here, I'll be where I need to be, somewhere in here and it'll be it'll be much more productive discussion.
0: And sometimes safer after a loss. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but, it, but it goes both ways, it yeah. swings both ways. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, as footy clubs, we we, we ride and we use that passion mm. yeah, and we use it when it's Things are going really well to drive a lot of our key metrics and yeah. membership and all those sorts of mm. things and and it can be hard to manage when people get really frustrated with poor performance and mm. we saw that you know for our club and we saw that last year and mm. no one's happy with the performance but there are differing so my job as CEO and the foot, the head of football and the co- we need to look at it sort of more objectively to say right, why where do we think we're going to get to set our goals in a realistic manner mm. and then step back from there but Be careful, you've got got a plan, you've got to try and stick to that plan and not let the outside noise um, impact that plan. Mm. And that's, you know, you're accountable to the board in in presenting that plan and and working to that plan.
0: How much involvement as CEO do you have in in, in game plan?
1: Yeah, in terms of the on-field stuff? Yeah. Minimal. I mean, it's not my expertise. I mean, we are, you know, football clubs are very, very unique businesses in the sense that you've got, it's essentially split in two. You've got... The administration, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's obvious, you know, you're talking all your revenue drivers, your finance, finance your your admin operations, everything else, and you've got a performance based mm-hmm. side of the business.
0: But do they reporting mm. to you? Does the head of football reporting to you?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but you but you but you're employing experts in their field. Mm. They've got a specialist. It doesn't mean I mean I'll so sit on a list my, manager. Excuse yeah.
0: my ignorance, right? So how do you know if they're not doing a good job?
1: Well, that's it. my role is to help them formulate the strategy, mm-hmm. you know, and they've got to be clear around what that looks like mm-hmm. and hold them accountable to the strategy. Just yeah. like sitting on list management, my job is not to sit there and go, Jace is a good player; mm-hmm. and we, he should be offered this amount mm-hmm. of money or that contract, mm-hmm. or we should recruit this player." Yeah, you know, it's it's to it's to take the names and the faces and the players out and talk about, "Well, it's a strategy. This is what it you know, looks like. Here's what the demographic you said we need as a list. Yeah. Here's the makeup." Well. How, it, how are we going against that strategy?
0: And see, that's where I reckon lies the dichotomy and the biggest challenge is because I think one of the things that the AFL as a collective has done really well mm. in recent years is helping player post-football. Yeah. And the work that we do at footy clubs, you know, a mate of mine, Chris Byrne Burns, he works there in player welfare development. He's a good all, man. He's a good man, Burnsy, yeah, right yeah. Man. He'll tell you what a great footballer he was as a <laughs> too. No, 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 he's a good man. But the work that we put into helping players make that transition because that's mm. a big challenge you know, I, you know, I've met, uh, you know, in my role, a lot of players that, you know, had played at the highest level, earning big bucks, and you know, they see as an 18, 19 year old kid, their mates that they went to school with are uh, working at a supermarket, stacking a shelf, while they're mm. at uni, where these kids are on 80 grand, then 150 grand, and 200 and 400 yep. grand, or whatever, but then when their career's over at the age of 28 or 30 or mm. 32, they go from 400 grand down to 60. You know, pretty tough. Yeah. Um, whereas their mates are, are climbing the ladder. I, I think the AFL has done an amazing job with that. Right? Mm. But then on the other side of the coin is we've got to, even though we're really good at people and managing people and helping them through their welfare, we've got to take the names off the faces and it's a position. How, how do you how do you juggle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because it's the balance of how much support you give mm. and then how much empowerment you give because yeah. you do want them when they leave footy and... and you know on average your careers are sort of five or six years that's right and you make a really good point where you know the average player is not getting up to the average salary no, Normally, not. a little bit it's a it's it's mm. just not the way it's skewed in terms of your, of your list and yeah. how how people pay mm. so they are coming in earning in comparison to their peers good money mm. um but it's not life changing money in the sense it sets them up for life no. because it's such a short period and it's not you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Well, I mean, it's, it's not NBA not like, income. It's not NBA. I mean, yeah, yeah. the average salary in the NBA is what, four and a half million. Yeah. And you, know, you play one year. If you invested it properly, mm. you're pretty well set up. That's right. You can't do that. And that's why really getting players to buy into the outside work stuff, the networking with the key contacts within the football club, just building that perspective. Mm. Yeah, I would love at some point for the competition to be more bold in the sense of saying, right, we need, you need to qualify to play, you need to have, you know, committed to a trade mm. or study or work experience on a more formal setting. I would love to see that. But, you know, it's also a game that demands massive amounts physically. Yeah. And, and it's hard to do both.
0: I know the PA, uh, the AFL Players Association, have partnered with the um, AFL Sports Ready Program. Yeah. And they do some things, you know, uh, you know, part of their EBAs that don't play footy or have anything to do with footy on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and mm. we've had a few of the kids come through and work here, and, and that's been great. And some of them, a couple yep. of them, have actually continued their career on at our organisation. Um, but I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the pre- the year that we've just gone through, yep. right? Um, and uh, to understand <coughs> the dynamics of the business case. And mm. so a lot of us, the layperson, sees it's all about winning premierships and yep. all that sort of stuff. But we're going to stay financially viable, mm. and a significant amount of our income, uh, our income, uh, the yeah. footy club's income, it comes from uh, the AFL uh, and memberships and events. How, how, what was it like planning mm. uh, for that year mm. uh, around where we're going to be and all mm. that sort of stuff? And are we going to be financially viable?
1: Mm. Well, I mean, ultimately, all of what you said underpins winning a premiership. Yeah, the goal of winning a premiership, because mm. all of that. If you get it right, the investment goes into paying a full soft cap in your football department mm. and paying your, pool, your full total player payments in your salary cap, mm. and those and you know, getting really good talent to come in. And it's ultimately you're, we're not for profit; we're investing everything back into our football program yeah. to drive performance. Yeah. And our you know, unashamedly, our goal is to win our seventeenth premiership. Yeah. And it has to be, and it should be, and our members deserve and expect that. We certainly do. Yeah, but there's a lot of there's a lot to your point. Like yeah. the uh, last year. Literally overnight, it felt like a sort of 72 hour period that we all went from driving at you know, 90 kilometers an hour to we're down to three or four kilometers yeah. an hour. It felt like that, and every business went through it. Yeah. And you know, classic learning is it's never as good, it's never as bad. If you take that philosophy, you'll make better decisions. But it felt pretty bad yeah. at that point in time, and we, we worked hard as a football club. And we're a football club first and foremost yes there's a broader business mm. but we are a football club mm. we're about people we're about our members we're about our players we're about our history and culture but we had to make some you know we've diversified our revenues so we're not just relying on you know being at the top of the ladder or the bottom of the ladder if we, you know we, we don't swing as much mm. we do swing because mm. naturally there's a lot of revenues that are, that are tied to performance mm-hmm. but we've got you know country clubs we've got mm. gyms mm. Um, we've, we've looked at a whole range of other areas but you know COVID impacted every single one of our revenue yeah. lines, and yeah. that's um, that's daunting. You know, our revenue dropped 20 something million, 21 million, I think it was in the end. Yeah. We had to make cost cutting of about 19, 19 Oof. and a half million, and that's hard because it's there are very um, challenging people decisions that we had to make as a as a footy club, and that's yeah. no one likes that stuff. But it was it's very much necessary to to ensure that our core goal of winning a premiership we. Stay true to that, and that's managing the finances and and uh, creating that stability was was imperative.
0: Dave, as wrong as this sounds, uh, you know I um, I rang up to get my membership, and you couldn't get through. Right, Um, leave a message, and you know send an email and all that sort of stuff. And I got my membership kits for me and my boys, Mm. and my wife's a Carlton supporter, Uh, so me and my boys got sent to us at the end of the season, which I, I. I understood because yeah, yeah. our business, you know, we, you know, we had to let people go. We couldn't answer the phone. People were working from home. And, and I felt like everybody has been belted by this. Everybody's yeah, yeah. working from home. Everybody had to, and I know in, in, you know, in the AFL, the, the cuts that went through uh, and pe- people that had to get let go, mm. it, it, it did not miss anyone no. last year. It didn't miss anyone. Yet You'd see on the TV, and I think the AFL did an amazing job and the clubs did an amazing job to get it off the ground. Mm. And, and it was wonderful, but we all got belted. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big things that I talk to business owners about, so I'm a, I'm a big uh, proponent of the, uh, of the balance scorecard. It's your mm. people, your yeah. processes, yeah. and your customers that drive your financials. And when we talk about people, one of the things that we try to help our clients with is we try to help our clients create and cultivate that environment mm. that's not only attractive enough for key people to come and join your organization, mm but adhesive enough to hold onto them. Yeah. And we talk about culture and core values. Yeah. yeah. And one of the books that I've read um, is a book called Legacy, written about yeah. the New Zealand All Blacks, which I think is an amazing book. Yeah, I've read that. Can you talk to me about how you go about driving culture mm. and what's a good effective culture at the footy club? Yeah. And what do you do when you feel that there's some toxicity in the culture and how do you stamp that out?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. And I'll talk in the context of where we are now, because uh-huh. it feels like 2020 with COVID we were never more disconnected from our key stakeholders. Mm. So it sort of it didn't feel like a, a normal football club, didn't feel like a normal football year for yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah. And it wasn't predominantly. Mm. And um, I think we lost a connection to who we are a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think every club would say that. Yeah. You know, even probably Richmond is sort of, that, that would still be the hardest year that you know, they've had to go through because of everything that COVID presented yet they won the flag, mm. you know, it's tough work. But it's, it's a, it's a, Ben, as senior coach, Ben Rutten, mm. has been big on this. Well, what, what is our culture going to be, and what's our legacy going to be, and mm. what's this football club about? Mm. And he's really been determined to, to, to not redefine that necessarily, but reinvigorate it, yeah. because that's, that's big to him. Sheeds did exactly the same mm. thing when he came in the early 80s, mm. and he's, he's, Ben and Sheeds have spoken a lot about that. But what is, what's our identity going to be? Mm as a team, as a playing team. You know, it's, he wants us to be blue-collar, yeah. hard-working, dependable, disciplined. They're, and how has he reached that? He's sat down with Terry Danner and spoken to him about it. He's sat down with Tim Watson, and that's they're the ones that have helped inform...
0: Oh, so this that. is truck saying we want to be blue-collar. This is where he wants to be. Uh, right.
1: Play blue-collar. Yeah. Not, we're, we're, are we a blue-collar club? It's hard to say we're a yeah, blue-collar yeah, club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on field, I bet you our, our members would love to see us be a blue-collar team. And
0: so how does he... Okay, so he comes up with that strategy with... You know, obviously, stakeholders like Terry Danaher and Timmy Watson and Kevin Sheedy and these sort of legends of the club. How does he then instil that culture yep. within the playing group? Yeah, so we've done it. He's, I mean, there's
1: a lot of different initiatives they've got in place at the moment. And part of it is actually educating the players mm-hmm. and getting down and dirty into this is the history of Windy Hill. This mm-hmm. is the history of McCracken family. This mm-hmm. is like actually mm. getting right back to it so the, the players can attach themselves yeah to that, you know, each player with the your number, you ring a corresponding past player of the same number, little things like that yeah. this year, yeah. that is all about sort of reinvigorating that mm. that, that field. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, it's, it's, and it's not just the players, like it's, we'll do the same thing with the staff, we're coming yeah. to our 150th anniversary next year. Yeah. Um, it's important that we are as well positioned mm. to acknowledge and feel connected to our history as we yeah. ever have been based on that. Um, but equally, I think it sort of helps it's a sort of like your your north. Like that's where you you're yeah, your your, true north. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. So,
0: yeah. so what do you do, Zave? How do you what do you do in a position where somebody's not buying into the culture? Yeah. How, how do you deal with those challenges? And I know that um, it, you know I, I speak to business owners all the mm. time. They go, "There's a problem with our culture." And I go, mm. "Well, is there a problem with the culture, or is there a problem with the leadership?" Yeah. So, so how do you deal with a player or certain team members that aren't buying into the mm. culture?
1: Mm. Well, I think I first, like, to take it back a step, I think you're sort of, I think there's a common perception, AFL, you're winning, you've got a great culture, you're losing, you've got a poor culture. Yeah. Now that's, that's just not right. Yeah, that's right. Because it can't, you can't just flick a switch and you win games of football and that's, you've got a great Mm -hmm. culture. Being clear around what your vision is, Mm -hmm. being clear on the behaviours that you're actually going to reward and hold people accountable to, and then following through, and then creating a platform for honest feedback, like that. It all sounds very simple, no, 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 sound, th- but it, if you don't do it, yeah, you, things will creep.
0: I think that the key word that I took from that was the behaviours piece. Yeah, um, It doesn't necessarily matter about the scoreboard uh, in this sense around culture. Mm. It's around the behaviours. And this is one of the things that we like to talk about in our organisation is one of our guiding principles is that we allow each other to operate within our genius, mm. but subject to hygiene, right? Mm. And that hygiene piece is very important. Mm. And I... You know, that book Legacy, I, I find it outstanding, particularly mm. the notion around sweep the sheds and mm. that no one, no one can look after an all black like an all black. And mm. I, I I remember watching basketball, you know, the kids are right into the basketball, my boys are right into the NBA. And I mean, I love the NBA too, mm. grew up with Michael Jordan and, yeah, and Dominique same. Wilkins and all these so Isaiah Thomas and all that sort of stuff. But. You know, I remember watching LeBron James, and it's not a good example because LeBron James does a lot of amazing things um, outside his circle, with you mm. know the charities he set up and stuff. But remember, he got off the bench and he took his tracksuit top and he just dropped it, and he put his hands in the you know, and how he does that with the, with the chalk mm. dust and stuff like that. Okay, who does LeBron James think he is? I said to my son Jack. He goes, Dad. He's the king. I go. I don't give a fuck who he is. He can pick up his own tracksuit top. And and then I'd start to tell Jack about you know the All Blacks and how they pick up the tape and all that sort of stuff, and you know how it's an honour yeah. to receive Jonah Lomu's jersey number 11 and and him to say to you know the guy he passed it on to leave this jersey in a better place mm. than you once inherited it. Mm. And I, I I think that that sort of stuff and and hearing what you're saying that what Ben Rutten's trying to introduce around the culture and what we stand for mm. as a footy club. And I think it's very important to understand where we've come from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as opposed to, you know, not just where we're going, because that vision yep. is very important as well.
1: Yep, no, I agree with that.
0: Talk to me about um, COVID life, um, living in a hub, mm. uh, managing and controlling, and what a lot of people may not recognize is these elite athletes are 23, mm. 24, 21. Mm. you got leaders, people, thrust into a leadership position, you know, uh, our centre back Tom, Todd Ridley wins, wins the uh, best and fairest. The Jordan, Ridley. Jordan Ridley. Jordan Ridley played. Used to play. yeah. <laughs> he had there as well. Jordan Ridley. Sorry about that, Jordan. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, he wins after playing 24 games or something like that yeah. and, and becomes a leader. Dyson Heppel uh, is a young leader. Yeah. Um, they're still relatively young. Yeah, yeah. How do you instill more of a mature head on hmm. some young shoulders?
1: It's interesting the hub. Back to, your, to, to sort of to your first question about what was the hub like. Mm. I mean, the hub was the hub was it was a really interesting experience. Mm. And uh, a lot of people would have said to me in the last three or four months, "Oh, the hub must have been hard." The hub wasn't hard. Mm. I mean, in comparison to stage four lockdown, we were incredibly fortunate. Yeah. You know, the fact we was a still working, b doing an environment like that it was disappointing not to be doing it in front of the fans and having, as we spoke about, the stakeholders involved. You know, from the club that was so disconnected that was challenging but yeah. in the context of the overall landscape that the nation and the, and the world was faced with at the time we were incredibly lucky yeah. to get to that position thank you for saying that yeah yeah and it's you know I, you know, I saw it firsthand. hand we, we, we would have a staff briefing every week and you had you know essentially you had a third of staff fully stood down you had a third of staff working on reduced hours predominantly mm. and you had a third that were in the hub yeah you know that's three incredibly unique dynamics yeah in groups and they were they were bloody hard. The staff briefings were really hard last year, yeah. trying to manage what that was like. Yeah. And it was very interesting because we were all going on that journey for everyone at Harb. Like it was, we wanted to make sure everyone really had that perspective, mm. because if you didn't, you know, you're going to offend a lot of people. Absolutely. And you know, you're not going to have that proper grasp on yeah. where we sat yeah. and how lucky we were to be in that position. Yeah. And it's interesting because you talk about the leadership piece for those young guys. As hard as this year has been, as COVID has been for everyone, I, I think for 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, like what a great time in their life to experience something like that. Great in the sense of the learnings that come from mm. hardship like that. Mm. And and hopefully the, the broader perspective they develop. You know, how much do we all start to put so much more value and on? go for a walk or go to a restaurant mm. or just social interactions or travel? Like yeah. we've got a lot more perspective, haven't we? Haven't we? Yeah, yeah like absolutely. I know, for me, in the first lockdown, I'd never been uh, more accessible at home. I'd never, I don't think I'd really played a genuine role at home in terms of my you know, mm. getting the kids to school or helping the schooling or making their lunches or cooking. Like, and and I, it was and it had to be part of it. It was excellent. It, yeah. was, it was one of the silver linings yeah. that, that came from it was, was that. And I, and I think for a lot of us, yeah. having that flexibility with how we work, you know, I'd love to think i still do a date home. Or two every week, and mm. um, I think we'll, t- we'll probably talk about what that looks like moving forward. Yeah. like I, I don't want to give that up, and I, yeah. and I don't want my staff or our staff or yeah. the groups to have to give it up because I think it's become too
0: important. And, and it's one of the things that I took away from lockdown. Mm. I was dead against, you know how this, you know these early adopters, you know those mm. dudes that queue up to get the iPhone the next mm. release. Mm. They're sleeping overnight in mm. sleeping mm. bags mm. and shit. I, Oh, I was like the second last bloke to have a BlackBerry, right? So I'm like the opposite of the early adopter, and I was always dead against. I wanted this delineation between my home life and my work life, and all of a sudden we were forced to.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and like with everything that I'm at late at adopting, I go, "Shit, this is not bad," you know. So I'd wake up and I'd have a workout in the morning with uh, mm. with Ange. We'd go for a walk, lift a few weights, do whatever. I'd start work off at home. Mike, um, look, our twins were doing Year Twelve, so they were in a hurry to say, well, "Dad, piss off!" A you tough know, year. yeah. But yeah, all I do all day long, look, let's be honest, I just move paper from one side of a desk to another. Mm. But I'm often on the phone and talking very loudly and they were keen to get me out of there. But now I can see that ability for us that almost had that work-life balance because now it's normal to work from Mm. home for the start of the day or work at home every Thursday or whatever. Mm. We were lucky in a sense that we made a decision to become an output-focused business as opposed Mm. to an input-focused business. And what I mean by that is we, we, we removed the requirement to work from 8 to 5.30 or whatever. Mm. It was more about what result can you produce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think we took a lot out of that. So tell me, you know, obviously we've all had more Zooms than we wanted to. Um, what does the new world order look like for you and, and your staff mm. and your off-field staff in particular? Because it's hard to, to run a Zoom footy training. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah, what does the off-field world look like for, mm. for the staff at the SM Footy Club?
1: Well, again, we've got two very different sides of the club. Yeah. Um, so I'll talk about the, the footy side now. Is, it's, it is, to your point, it's pretty difficult to work from home yep. when you're running a footy program. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you can't do it. But where the AFL has probably realized is that do we need to have them training doing a three-and-a-half-month pre-season mm. you know, or, or a four-month pre-season? I think that's, that's going to finish and yep. you're going to see a much more condensed... Program with a yeah. great, with a lot more empowerment, a bit like we're doing with our staff now in our administration side. About, mm. all right, it's your job to keep your fitness program up to a certain level, so mm. you can enter the program when it formally starts mm-hmm. at, a, at an appropriate level. Yeah. And I think that we'll see a lot more of that. I yeah. think we'll allow. We certainly mm. in talking about footy staff, we'll, we'll, there'll be a longer leave period that allows them to, you know, to support them with other endeavors that they want to explore. Because mm. mm. again, once you get into the you know the cut and thrust of football, you're in it. Yeah. You know, in the industry. And it's very unique. And, and sometimes I think people find it hard to work out, well, what's my next step? Because they will be invariably there'll be they want to get out at some point. yeah. And understanding, well, what, what skills are transferable? What's not, I think it's good for people to have that variety. I'm a really big believer in that. Mm-hmm. In terms of the, the broader club and the administration, like I think it's very hard to see. You know, we're at Tullamarine, great facility, driving against traffic, but it's still, a, it's still 45 minutes probably on average for each person to get out in the morning. Yeah. 45 minutes of a night. Yeah. They're just it's not palatable to think that people are going to do that 5 days a week no, moving it's not, forward yeah, after yeah. you've had a complete stop. Mm. Um, so I think the dial up is going to be as difficult as the dial down was. Yeah. So gradually building up and probably we're forced to do it because of capacity limits mm. and things like that mm-hmm. is probably it's a good way to do it. Mm. You know not ideal because you you know a lot of people do want to be in the office. Mm. But I'd say you know for us as a business we're probably as a footy club and the administration side it's going to be a we want you in the office at least two days a week, mm-hmm. but if you want to be in five, that's up to you. Yeah. Those two days are about connection and you know staff briefings. Come down, let's watch tr- coming in on the main training day. Let's mm. watch training. Let's mm. let's feel why we're involved in the footy club. Be close to the team. Let's do our big presentations yeah. as a group. Have your team meetings, but the other three days. You know, just flexibility.
0: Well, that's one of the things that we discovered that our organization missed was that incidental collaboration. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, um, so we as a partnership group, there's five of us uh, that are partners in this business and we we were never more connected than we have been because we put two uh, regimented uh, Zoom catch ups on a Tuesday and a Thursday to catch up and have yeah. conversations. But what we discovered was that incidental collaboration that accidentally happens. Mm. Or has anyone worked on a property developer? Or has anyone you know those sort of mm. conversations didn't happen? And and when he when he allowed us to come back in, people were queuing up, uh, mm. you know, to, to get back into the office mm. and see their mates from work. Mm. You know, even the conversations around forty tips on a Monday. Yeah, yeah. And I can't believe I picked Collingwood and all that sort of stuff. And you know um, you know super coach and all those mm. conversations w- were sort of lost. So, David, be remiss of me not to ask you this question. Um, you've been touted as a uh, a potential. Uh, Replacement for Gil McLaughlin, Um, and you've obviously heard that noise. Obviously, that's just me on Big Bomber. No, 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 no. Uh, A little bit of bias there, but no, your name has come up in circles, Um, and you know you can answer this or not. But you're a lifelong Mad Bomber supporter who's got a dream job. Sure, there's been a couple of circumstances along the way that weren't ideal. Um, do you ever think about what the future might hold for you or is it, I mean, are you living in the present?
1: No, no, I think well you'd be silly not to. Who doesn't? Yeah. I mean I could easily give you the standalone and say, Bob oh, taking it one day at a time. <laughs> then, I mean, but I, I love I love the job. You yeah, know, I love working for the rest of then, but also there'll be a point where, you know, I won't be right for us, and then mm. and there, there always is a point that comes to well, that. Well, even you know?
0: the great Kevin Sheedy, twenty-seven exactly, years,
1: you know? exactly. And yeah. there's, you know, I, I, I've got plenty on the plate now. There's mm. you know, certainly the club isn't right now where I, where I, we want it to be and where I want it to be. Yeah. You know, twelve <laughs> months ago we had record membership, we just finished finals, we sort of announced the, the debt-free, we had the facility expansion on foot, we had a succession plan in place. Mm. Versus end of last year um, and now with COVID, like we're still we're trying to reset the broader. Business model, mm. and you know, from a football perspective, we've, we've lost some players that we probably wanted to keep. Yeah, but you know, like, you know if you if you don't want to be here, it's it, that probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got six, seven, and eight, we've got some draft. great picks, but yeah. we're going to be we've got a younger demographic, you know, mm. and that's just that's a fact. Mm-hmm. So, but building hopefully, it means we're in a position to build a more sustainable. Mm. Um, football program to to raise each year our performance, to your Mm. point before, and that's what we want to see. We want to build and build and build, Mm. because we don't want to be eighth or seventh on the ladder. We want to be a premiership team. Absolutely. So, yeah, for me, I love love the job. There's still plenty to do, you Mm. know, what the future holds will be. Doing an MBA is excellent because it it broadens your skill set, it broadens your interests, it helps enhance your capability to do your job better mm-hmm. um, but i don't have any plans and I'm, I'm really i'm very i am very focused on on this next couple of years at Eston.
0: zave from the outside looking in it's a very cutthroat business um the supporter base definitely hate the opposition yep. uh, and clubs go at each other like a at a gate but i would i'd be surprised if you didn't collaborate with other clubs and yep. have conversations with other ceos and this is one of the things that I love about the industry mm. that I'm in, as, as accountants. When we get together a couple of year, times a year at different conferences, it's great to share war stories with other yeah. people in public practice. And what do you guys do well, <coughs> and all that sort of stuff. Does much of that go on? Is there a mm. collective where the CEOs or the administrative group get together and have yeah. conversations? Do you share ideas?
1: Yeah, we do. I mean, we we meet probably three or four times a year, and we do every club CEO comes to a meeting with the AFL executive, and we, you know, we we talk through sort of formally with a mm. structure around the key industry issues and things like that mm. probably COVID triggered a level of collaboration that I hadn't seen in my seven years as a CEO yeah naturally because a lot of what we were discussing we weren't competing on you know there wasn't a, it wasn't like a competitive advantage yep. or disadvantage you were trying to create mm. from the situation it was actually and it wasn't survival I know, you know it's saved my business podcast it's never been about saving us it's about or, or, but the competition has had to go through massive yep. material restructure, and we've had to make huge changes to get through this period. Mm. Um, but this year, I've, I mean, I've you know, and there will be you know, I've had four or five CEOs I probably speak to very regularly about because we are still navigating through an uncertain time. Mm. And as much as we think you know, the vaccines are positive, it's not the end game. It's not going to necessarily straight away does it provide a line in the sand, mm. we're going to still have to deal with this mm. through the year which is going to require a flexible mindset. Um, we have to be more efficient as a business um, and to do that collaboration and developing economies can sometimes be the answer and there's different opportunities we're exploring across different clubs yep. in that respect. Mm-hmm. But You know, when it comes to the football performance side, clearly it's Mm. it's a bit of a no-go because it's sort of you are trying to find that competitive advantage, and when you want to be ruthless in your pursuit of that, and you want to protect that at all costs. Mm. But on the other side, it's there's got to we've got to think differently about how we do do our business there and grow our business to better invest into our football program.
0: Mate, talking about thinking differently, I'm often talking to business owners where at times we get caught up in what's best practice in our industry, yep. right? And I think there can be a lot to learn from drawing best practice from other industries. You know, yep. you know, if I look at the customer service piece and some of the businesses in hospitality, how well they do it. And, you know, these are some of the things that I'm trying to introduce into our organisation. Where do you, as a footy club, do you look to other industries to, to glean best practice and, and how can you improve your business? And can you share some examples? Yeah, I
1: think that the best example right now on foot is so we're trying to be more efficient as a business. We're trying to be more productive as a, as a business on the business side, particularly mm. because we are. We've just reduced our head count by 35 percent. You know, yeah, it's wow. we still got uncertainty to navigate through. So, you know, things. Like, I, I really think we'll get to a point where we really, as an as a industry, will embrace things like artificial intelligence and machine learning because yeah. we'll, it'll help us make on both sides of the business. It'll help us better serve and target membership growth and things like that. But also on a, on a football side, there'll be, with this increased focus on injuries and concussion, all those sorts of things, there'll be diagnostic sort of progression that will get us to a point where we can better forecast when you are likely to have an injury and things like that. And I think that's now starting to come to the head and I'd love to think that we could do more in that space. As, and that probably takes a collective of clubs, even though there's a bit of a competitive element on that side. Yeah there's a cost prohibitive element too. That's so, right, well, we share the love. Yeah, but I think that's the, that's the, the mindset that you have to embrace, that mm. we have to think differently. And I think there's, there's opportunities there without doubt for us mm-hmm. um, to get to that point.
0: Uh, I haven't got too much to go, uh, but I, I've got a couple of uh, important questions. Uh, mm. The first is um, AFLW. Yep. I, I, I've I got to tell you that I've, I've loved watching it this year. I mm. think the standard is through the roof. And yep. the footy club that I love, uh, along with the Bombers, is the Vale Footy Club, which is yep. right where I played footy there. I was chairman of the club and I love the organisation. And we were pioneers in, in women's footy. I mean, mm. we had our first side 10, 12 years ago and won a couple of flags and, and all that sort of stuff. W- what's Essendon's position uh, mm. on um, on having a, a women's side? Uh, when will that happen, if at all? And mm. um, And and what's your take on not only importance uh, for the collective, but also the Mm. importance to Essendon Footy Club? Because one of the things that I I love what it's done is it's taken um, football to be a game that boys play to a game that everyone can play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a a huge priority for us as a a footy club. So Mm. we have a VFLW team. Mm. We have for the last few seasons Mm. now. Um, We've every intention to get an aflw team as quickly as we can Mm. we're working very close with hawthorne who Mm. don't have a team as well yeah we're rightly jointly lobbying the afl to sort of get that license sooner rather than later i'd love to think that 2022 is a is
0: realistic for us. is there a reason why they haven't issued another
1: license Well, i mean if i'm putting myself in issues it's a balance between the standard of the competition, yeah. bringing in so many, diluting the talent, Etcetera, all those sorts yeah. of things. I you know, personally I don't think that stands up as, as, as much when you consider that the talent coming through I mean you, you see we had the you know the Brownlow medalist wins it from as a first year player yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of years back. I mean that's yeah. that imagine if that happened in the men's side, this wouldn't happen. But yeah. there are very different points of their business cycle. Yeah. Um and the talent coming through is is through the through the through the roof. Mm. So it's super exciting. And you t- to the point you sort of made, like having That aspiration across the entire competition, all 18 clubs, Mm. where young girls can attach themselves to a female football star, Mm. is is incredibly important. Absolutely, incredibly important. So we 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 made a massive decision uh, very early during COVID that uh, we would continue with our facility expansion. We were about a third of the way through, and that was a $22 million expansion Mm. to the to the existing $30 million dollar building. put out there, the hanger that's out there, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when it opens, this new piece, you'll, it'll be even more amazing. But mm. it's central to that is women's change rooms. yeah, And and women's change rooms are probably even more enhanced than the men's change well, rooms. Well, they are. We had to do the
0: same thing at our footy club. You know, when we, we got a significant grant from the state, uh, federal and also local government, as well as Bendigo Banks, mm. a massive supporter of our, of our club. And, yeah, because women shower differently and, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff zay two quick ones before we go um the last one's an easy one Uh, the next one is we were relatively well heavily involved in uh, esports at at the footy club and 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 that's no longer can you just talk to me about that experiment and and how that went
1: well i mean i'm i'm i want us to be bold i want us to think differently Mm. and try and find ways to actually grow our revenue base and to diversify so Mm. that we uh, we dabbled in esports we also explored uh, the potential of an NBL team, things like that. Mm. Um, Hawthorne did that. A couple other teams, I think, did that as well. Yeah. And we'll keep doing it yep. because we have to grow. It's another way of not just investing. It's a growing your supporter base. It's growing your revenue. Like it's a different way to think about it. Mm. esports. Presented us with an opportunity there. Hard in this market. We found it, I found it hard in this market. Like yeah. we really needed to play on a global level if you really wanted to. Mm. But we, we we did we we grew the enterprise value of the of the team and we made a profit that way. Yeah. But it's a costly venture when unless you're in through Asia, you're winning League of League of Legends, you're progressing to Asia it became more difficult. Yeah. Um, and and then the argument that well you focus on your core business and things like that, I just don't we're always focusing on core business. Yeah. We have we have forty well, it was forty five people in, in in our football program. It's now unfortunately about thirty people because yeah. of COVID yeah. who aren't focusing on esports, yeah. who aren't running our uh, fitness center, Gyms, who aren't doing any yeah, of those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. Who are wholly and solely focused on that, and they always will be. Yeah. And I think there's an obligation on the other side that we've got to we've got to think differently about how we grow the business, yeah. grow the supporter base, grow revenues, and and we'll continue to do that. And it was it was a great experience. We learned a lot from it. Um, it didn't hurt us massively, mm. and we'll continue to do it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Final one. Where the bombers finish in 2021?
1: Well, I tell you what, I'm looking for. You, you, we want a specific position. I want to see us. player you know, I want to see us a clear game style. Mm. I'd want to. Uh, i love to see if we find five or six players that you mm. and your kids can attach yourselves yeah. to and you think, wow, well, they're coming through. Yeah. And anything's possible. Yeah? Anything's Absolutely. possible. We're always aiming to win premierships and we're always aiming to play finals. Yeah. So we'll see you, Jace.
0: Well done, Xavier. Thanks for your time, pal. Good to see you.
1: Thanks for uh, getting on the podcast. Mm.